What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Culture FC, the weekly soccer show that's not really about soccer. We talk about fashion, lifestyle, music, culture, all of the things surrounding the beautiful game, just none of the stuff happening on the pitch. My name is Louie, and I'm joined here by my beautiful co-hosts, Brendan Allen. And this week, we got to talking about the CONCACAF Champions League. What the hell is that is probably what you're asking yourself right now. But it is the regional competition that teams in North America play in to determine who is the best team in North America. It is essentially the equivalent of the UEFA Champions League or the Copa Libertadores for all of you more international world soccer fans out there. As always, don't forget to leave us that five-star review on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our Facebook page where you can find the video version of this podcast. We are also on Instagram. We have the Culture FC Instagram. It is at culturef.c. We also have a clothing brand called Treble, and our Instagram is at Treblewear. We just launched a brand new amazing item this past week. So go check out our Instagram. Go check out our website. We'll put the links below. Check it out. Give us that follow. Give us that like. If you know someone who likes soccer, don't forget to share this podcast with them. And let's jump right in. Before we get into the episode today, did you guys see that video that's like kind of gone viral of Cristiano Ronaldo, like sitting with his girlfriend? Oh, oh yeah, I didn't see the video, but I like read it. I think it's so funny, but like he's sitting outside with his girlfriend, and he's on Instagram Live. It's a recording of Instagram Live, and he's like, "Yeah, like some of you guys," and his like really broken English accent. Some of you guys like think I hate Argentina. He's like, "Uh, but you don't you don't understand." Uh, my girlfriend is from Argentina. I love Argentina. And then he goes, "I love Argentina." <laughs> A lot. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, but the way that he says it is so funny. I, I, I just kept watching it over and over and over again. And I was just like, oh my gosh. Like, I just love everything about the, what it was. And I just can't. I can't. Every time I watch it, I laugh. That is so funny. I'm going to take a look at it later. Yeah. Did you, uh, this probably could have been in contention for one of the uh, the topics, but I am kind of want to ruin it. But did you see the second division Russian team who had a bear come out with the ball? I yeah. did see that. I yeah. thought it was the coolest thing. Yeah. Literally, you have a little bear holding the ball. That was no little dance. fucking bear, dude. That was a was ginormous bear. bear. That was like a full-grown bear. And the guy next to him was just the, like standing next I will to him. Like, was just though, there, dude. Um, Rush, like Russian videos or something that I do fall into a loop in sometimes. Oh just yeah, like dash cams, dash cams and stuff about Russia. And Russia, for some reason, they are just masters of t- taming bears. Like they just can control bears. Dude, the bears. last UFC pay per view thing, the guy who won it in the last fight, oh, he yeah. there was a video of him when he was like nine years old wrestling a bear for like straight up twelve minutes, like a baby cub bear. Yeah, these dudes in they're Russia just they rest- just don't it's care insane. about bears. Like they just they're just pets. Yeah, Russian right. YouTube videos are by far some of the craziest. Yeah, like car crash. Like you said, dash cam ones. Oh my gosh, I can't the dash cam. Dude, into. dash cam ones are crazy. Russians are just a different being, man. They just can do they are. crazy things. And oh, I don't want to say this because it's next episode, but I'll talk about. I'll talk about it next week. Right. Um, you seem so excited. I'm so excited. No, I'll talk. I'll, I'll hold off on it. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> so let's let's get into the episode before we get into. The meat of the podcast, let's talk about our three quick topics. 
Number one we're going to be talking about is New York City FC. They have a plan to open up a new stadium, actually in the South Bronx. Waterfront. Waterfront. It is projected to be $700 million. Wow. But if you look at the plans for it, and we'll include the link, of course, stunning. I mean, it's like really, really nice. The picture of it on the water, it just looks so sick. Just like right on the river. It's right downtown. It's everything you could ask for for like a modern soccer stadium in the center of New York City. You know what I mean? Like it's just really cool. And I'm sure the New York City uh, FC fans are really excited because I I was looking at videos of of, um, like MLS highlights and of people watching games in Yankee Stadium for New York City and I can't imagine being the person on the opposite side of where they keep the field because oh, of the way it's set up you're you're literally yeah. like so far away that you have to you basically have a baseball diamond in between you and the actual soccer field and you have to see that far away it's so ridiculous to me like I I'm really I kind of hope this plan goes through because it would be really cool for them to have their own soccer stadium but you know I don't know I feel bad for them right I now having to watch it at Yankee Stadium I just think, I mean, with with global warming and climate change like that, why go right next to a river? I mean, there's not a lot of state space at all. Atari but Money doesn't care about the environment. Atari <laughs> Money does not care about the environment. I mean, I, it I, looks beautiful. You know what I'm surprised by the most is that there's still real estate to build on in New York. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, that's the other thing. You will note in the picture that it is definitely on top of everything else. Yeah, and yeah it's but still, like, it's like, but yeah, to be to to be able to have that building, even but the smack process dab of in the middle, like basically smack dab in the middle of New York, that's awesome. I think that the the plot of land is actually owned by the New York Transit Authority, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. So it's probably like some old, like railroad station or railroad parking garage thing. Good for transportation then. Yeah. Um, but luckily for them, it's not too too far from from Yankee Stadium. Because Yankee Stadiums in the Bronx too, so you know keeping it within the same realm. Um, well, that's good. I think it'll. It, I really hope it goes through. It it looks beautiful. It looks absolutely yeah. stunning. And for you know the quality that they've shown on the field, it'd be nice to have a stadium that matches. So, yeah. Moving on, second topic of the day. This is I found this super interesting, and I'd love to hear your takes on it, which we're gonna get. But um, Inter Milan did something really interesting before one of their recent matches this weekend, and they actually had. All of their players' Instagram handles on the backs of the jerseys instead of their last names. Huh. Hmm. And so they didn't actually play with them on the field. I thought that they had it originally. They didn't actually end up going on the field. Aww. But um, I thought it was interesting. It this kind of self promotion, but also kind of um, step forward into the. Yeah, it's it's also interesting. Like, what if that becomes the the norm almost? The, yeah. Um, so I guess we have to play the game of hypothetical, right? So when I first saw the headline, I thought that they actually played in them because I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Mm, yeah. But let's pretend they had. Like, what, what would your feelings be on an actual team running out without last names but with uh, Instagram handles? I'm, I'm a pretty forward-thinking guy. I'd like to think that. But I'd be pretty pissed if they went out like that. I think that it's um, – it you – it means that all of a sudden you have to be a player for them. You have to a have to have an Instagram or have some social media presence, which you may not necessarily want to be about that. And and this is a topic that always comes up. Like whenever Manchester United signs a new player, you'll notice they immediately if they don't have an Instagram account or a Twitter, they get one. 
uh, Matic when he signed. Didn't have an Instagram account. Got one. Oh. Uh, I'm trying to think of other guys. I think Darmian, when he came from uh, wherever he came from, can't even remember, he in- instantly had an, in- uh, an Instagram created for him. So it's kind of like I understand what they're trying to do and build the brand, but at the same time it's kind of detracting from the football, and I don't want to be the guy that's like good old football, but I, I don't know if I'd necessarily like that because then it's, I don't know. Well, but that that argument of like good old football is what a lot of people would say. They're like, oh, it's like because I saw this thing online and someone was already commenting about this exact article, and they and their comment was, uh, "Football is dead," and I'm like, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, they used to not even have numbers and names on jerseys. They yeah. used to just be a jersey. So right. you can't be like in the good old days. They yeah. they didn't. You can't you can't change like yeah. tradition. I mean, you have players, especially like in Brazil and South American countries, where they'll play with nicknames on their yeah. jersey. You know? I do think it takes away a little bit of the magic of having your name on a jersey if it's your Instagram or social media handle. Because I feel, especially in South American countries, like even if it is a nickname, it's such a prideful thing to kind of have your name and number on the back of a jersey. And then if all of a sudden um, it's your Instagram handle or Twitter handle, it kind of loses that magic for me. Yeah, I feel like this was straight out of, like, The Onion, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Famous soccer stars that everyone already knows wanted to put their Instagram handles to garner more followers. Yeah. I mean, I get it that it's it's meshing the what today is and how important Instagram is. I'm sure maybe – the people at AC Milan were like, hey. Inter Milan. Inter Milan, whatever. Yeah. Hey, Sorry, they, guys. To them, it's they, not the same. To them, it's so. not the same at all. No. Good thing I totally just fucked Pardon that up. Pardon our friend. Yeah. Pardon our friend who's not really caring about Inter Milan, <laughs> AC Milan. Um, but I really, I don't know. I just think it's like in part like the ownership's like, yo, we're going to put Instagram handles so maybe they'll follow you yeah. guys and then follow us. Yeah. But I don't know. I think it's stupid. So, but do we see this as the way going forward? Do you think that this is kind of how it might be? I hope not. In the future? I would in like not three seasons? be surprised. Um, yeah, no, definitely teams are going to probably hop on the bandwagon and be like, yo, I it's w- okay to w- do that? Yeah, I think that, I mean, I would I'd be far from surprised if this became the norm. If this, even if it became like kind of a singular event that happened once a season per team, um, it wouldn't surprise me. It's just another way to market. How would you feel if, say, any time a team played in their third kit, the third kit had Instagram handles? Because third kits are usually like, let's try something funky. You know what I mean? As evidenced by like United's current third kit, Liverpool, Liverpool's third kit. You know what? You know what? Actually, you know what? Actually, I would. uh, You know why I would hate it even more so now that I think of it, because we don't know if Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook are going to be here forever, right? So then you're kind of tarnishing it with this this. Looking back on it, like if I look at a ba- an old jersey that I love and it has this player's something on it and I don't know what this is and I'm an old fan, it's kind of like weird. Like, okay, you kind of revolved your whole jersey around this platform, huh. social media platform that is no longer alive. Like, say, f- whatever, Instagram collapses because Facebook's Russia shit, all that stuff goes down, whatever it may be. All of a sudden, 20 years down the line, I'm looking at this iconic third jersey that sometimes they're really cool designs, like you mentioned, and it's freaking... Paul Pog was Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, I think that's a really interesting point because if you think about it, like Vine was by far one of the most popular social media platforms. Died completely. Yep. Twitter used to be the go-to platform for everybody. It slowly lost to Facebook and now it's sort of making its comeback. But that's actually a super good point because these social media platforms go in and out of style yep. every MySpace, years, dude. 
Zanga. Yeah, you, think you guys ever, ever hear of Zanga? No. Oh, I got you on that one. <laughs> it's a Midwestern thing. I went out to Michigan one summer, and like Zanga. these middle school girls I was hanging out with, like, oh, we all have Zangas. So I was like, oh, I want a Zanga. And like, it's essentially my space. Nice. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that was a really cool conversation we just had on a hypothetical situation. <laughs> yeah. It basically, don't do it. Yeah. And moving on, third topic for today. This is another kind of marketing marketing situation that, I, that I'd love to hear. Corinthians, huge team in Brazil, um, very loyal, large fan base. I think they're pretty well-known worldwide. They beat Manchester United in the Club World Cup hmm. to win that. So they're, and they're don't worry well if you don't know what the Club World Cup is. Um, most people outside of South America don't <laughs> yeah, because we're the only popular. ones who take it seriously. Yeah, it's basically that tournament <laughs> at the end me. of the year, the <laughs> Champions League. The Champions League winner. So they take basically all these like regional tournaments. So Libertadores champion, Champions League champion. They play in this kind of mini tournament. And then they they crown the, the world's Woo! best club. And we'll actually get into uh, this topic a little bit more towards uh, in, once we get into the meat of the episode. But... Um, so continue with actual, the yeah. actual topic. Sorry. So, Corinthians, <laughs> they actually just unveiled a new sponsorship. A- and what's really interesting about that is it, it doesn't actually show up on the jersey when they're playing until their players start to sweat. So it's an invisible s- s- logo in the, front of the, the, in front of the jersey. Once players start sweating, gets real wet, sponsor shows up. Thoughts? Uh, so I saw the picture of this, and... When like when the players came out to take their picture for the game and like as they're lining up, it looks like a big plastered rectangle yeah. on the front, so it looks so ugly at the start of the game. And then there's a picture of it after he sweat through his jersey, and it actually looks like a really sick jersey. I think their sponsor fits really well into the into the actual style of the jersey. But to me, it's just like they did it, but it looks like. I don't know. It just literally looks like someone glued paper onto their shirt. Yeah, it led me to question, was that just a one-time thing that they did on their jerseys? Or is that now going to be the thing for every game that the jerseys are? Because if that's the case, I think that's fly. And I want to get my hands on a jersey. I don't know, because this game was a big game. It was the, I think it was the, if I'm not mistaken, it was the first week of the Brasileirão, which is the Brazilian championship. Um... I don't know. Uh, yeah, it could I be think that they, I'm not. I, I the articles that I read haven't Big. said if they're going to be that like if they're going to yeah. be used throughout the season. Um, yeah, it's hideous when it's not shown up when the sponsorship. is Although, invisible. and I think that to me it kind of looks like someone came up with the idea to like someone gave the idea to Nike, but didn't actually didn't actually have the complete. I, like the idea fully furnished so it's kind of like a draft yeah <laughs> and it's like i feel like give it another year and you can do this without it being really ugly before the, the sponsorship shows well up it's funny it. because it's not the first instance of this happening within any sort of sporting space you've seen nike actually came out with a bunch of t-shirts a few years back and it was like they're just do it t-shirt but it looked like a plain uh, workout tee like probably like a cotton blend or something like that but then after you sweat, it would see, like, a yeah. big Nike swoosh and say, just do it. But then with this, like, the jersey, once it's, like, sweat through, is fly. It's a really, really crisp-looking jersey. But before it, like you said, it's like someone just yeah. took a draft and was like, hmm, you know what? Let's I like go it. for it. I like, you like it. I, I like the plaster on it. I think it's sick. 
Um, it's like a little play, a little mystery well, game. With the yeah, friends yeah. are making a joke that you would be able to tell who's really working hard or not. Oh, <laughs> that's that's you know, it's probably so it, it would make the coach's job easy. It's like oh, you, you're not playing that much. Let's throw you off. Yeah, you're you're not sweating enough, yeah. dude. What if you just don't sweat easy? <laughs> yeah, that's another argument. But you better start. Better start sweating. <laughs> you're gonna see guys doing full field sprints <laughs> just cause. just to see. I just want to. I get it and just yeah. run around until I see the jersey. You'd have to probably get pretty freaking sweaty, dude. Yeah, yeah. It looks like they. It took. A, it looks yeah. like it took takes a while for these jerseys to really kind of yeah. yeah. to pop out. But I wonder how the sponsor feels about it though. Yeah. I don't know if it was Would their you want idea. The sponsorship to kind of just show up midway through the first half. I guess it. it we're talking. I, about I guess it, it brings more attention to it versus just someone who has. Yeah, it's like hey, they got a new sponsorship. That's not in our top ten, but hey, they got a new sponsorship. Well, think about it this way: like. if you're sitting in the stands of this game mm-hmm. and you're looking at Fluminense, which was the team they played, you already kind of in your. At least for me, I block out ads in my head. Like if I'm looking at a jersey, I know there's an ad there. Yeah, but I don't really pay much attention to Agreed. it. Agree. And so if I'm in the stands and I'm like, okay, cool, Fluminense is they have theirs or whatever. But then I'm looking at Corinthians and like I'm a Corinthians like a, a Corinthians fan and I'm looking at it and I'm like, what the fuck is that? And yeah. I, let's say I hadn't no- heard about this before. You're like, what the fuck is that? And you're standing in the stands and all of a sudden midway through the game you can finally see it. You go, oh shit, that's so sick! And all of a sudden, I guess the sponsor might be happier because yeah. you actually. I think it definitely becomes more of a focal point, even when you know it exists, because then you're st- kind of still looking for it. Fair. Yeah, it's like it that like mystery that you know is going to happen, but yeah, you want to figure it right, out. Right. So I think I think it actually ends up being bad for Omo Sport. I think that's the the sponsor. That's yeah. I was trying to see it. So wait, it looks it looks bad. Or it looks good. No, I think it ends ends up working well. I think it looks bad. It's still like the the, the invisible part. But it actually ends up working well for the sponsor um, because it actually brings that attention to the sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's like a roller coaster of emotions. You get there and you go, <laughs> what the fuck is that on that yeah. jersey? And then moving through, you're like, oh, shit, it looks oh, pretty cool. Oh, wait a second. And the thing is, like, the, the logo doesn't take away from the jersey, so it's not like a big yellow Chevy crest on the front. So, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, like some it, other teams. It, like some yeah. other teams. It blends really well with the jersey. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well done, Nike. Uh, yeah. Uh, Got us talking about it. Yeah. It's on the podcast now, so it's it's eternal. <laughs> but all right, guys, let's move into the meat of the the podcast and and talk about the Concacaf Champions League. So, Louis, can you kind of give us the history? Our Louis is our um, resident historian, <laughs> all things our dungeon uh, soccer. If you haven't noticed over the last few episodes, but um, a lot of knowledge in there. So. Basically, the reason why I wanted to dive into this uh, this topic in this particular episode on this particular day is that Toronto FC of the MLS is playing in the CONCACAF Champions League final against Club Deportivo Guadalajara, or better known as Chivas Guadalajara. I know we typically don't talk about really scores. Off the tongue pretty Ooh, we did it? Ooh. Yeah. Uh, Guadalajara. What yeah. a tongue my tie. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to break the rule of our podcast and talk to you guys about score just because this is important. By the time this episode airs, it'll be directly between both of the legs of the final, and Toronto lost the first leg to Chivas Guadalajara 2-1. to one. Um, So what you, you might be thinking, what the fuck is the CONCACAF Champions League? Or if this is, you know, if you're more family-friendly, what the bleep is the CONCACAF Champions League? It is basically the biggest club tournament that any team in North America can play and win in, or at least that's the intended purpose. If anybody knows what the UEFA Champions League is, it's supposed to be the North American equivalent of the UEFA Champions League. It's supposed to be the North American equivalent of the Copa Libertadores, which is the South American tournament. 
Both of those tournaments are known as the two biggest tournaments in the world for clubs. And so the CONCACAF Champions League is basically trying to have that for North American clubs to give them this one big overarching tournament that they can play in the similar way that they play the Champions League in Europe and the Libertadores in South America. And so why is it important? It's important because only two MLS teams have ever won the CONCACAF Champions League and Mexican teams have won 37 times out of the 50-something years that they've existed. Um, And... It's long been a little bit of an issue about the CONCACAF Champions League because a lot of people in North America don't even know what the CONCACAF Champions League is. Yeah. Prior to this, notes, I did not know. No idea? No. Yeah, I mean, I've I mean, I had ideas, but, like, I've, I've, I've seen it. Like, oh, CONCACAF, but I was just like, I don't What is that? Don't get right, it. and it's more of one of those things that kind of in passing. Like, I could tell you, oh, yeah, American teams playing it, but no real kind of understanding of formatting and anything kind of relating to the tournament as a whole. Right. And so... I honestly... Sorry to interject, but I honestly thought... I think... Was it bit? Was the U.S. pretty big in it? Not last year. Was I it think it was Gold Cup. You're thinking. You're thinking about the Concacaf Gold Cup. Ah, oh, see, that's tournament. different. Yeah, there yeah. we go. So okay. I'm sure, people have that kind of misconception as well. This is specifically just clubs. Misconceptionville, yeah. USA, right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as you'll soon find out, there are actually qu- at least what I deem to be quite a few different problems with the Concacaf Champions League. But their biggest one has always been getting attention and teams to take it seriously. The issue that a lot of MLS coaches in particular have had with this is that their job is tied to MLS results and MLS standings and and, and wins within the MLS. It's not really tied to the CONCACAF Champions League. They don't, uh, a lot of coaches have come out and said, like, I don't really care about this tournament. I play in it because I have to. But other than that, like, we, this isn't how my job is uh, determined, right? And so, um, so the reason why we're talking about it now is that MLS clubs did really well in 2018, even with, like, aside from Toronto, which made it to the final, of course, other MLS teams have actually progressed really far this year, and it seems like a little bit of a tide is turning in in terms of how people are, how much people are caring about this tournament, and so let's kind of dive into the history and the about of it. Like I said, it's a... It's a annual continental club football competition organized by CONCACAF, which if you don't know, it's the name of, that's the name of the confederation that runs all organized soccer within North America. And basically it encompasses all the co- of the clubs in North America, Central America, and the Caribbean. And the winner of the CONCACAF Champions League qualifies for the FIFA Club World Cup, which in its idea stage, it's supposed to be the biggest overarching uh tournament in the whole world but no one really takes that seriously like we said aside from south americans <laughs> um like it's so funny you'll see whenever any time real madrid has won it they're like cool that's great awesome they just throw it into their trophy cabinet a brazilian team wins the the club world cup and they will have parades in south america because for them it's our club's the best in the world yeah because it usually ends up being the winner of the libertadores versus the winner of the champions league so it's usually like Cruzeiro, whatever, Santos, when Santos played Barcelona, got smoked. Like, that ends up being, I mean, imagine you're, you're a small Brazilian club playing against a, the a biggest world power True. Of, of what is football. It ends up being way more meaningful for, for teams in, oh, I bet. In, in other parts of the world. But, yeah, it's always interesting to see, like, especially I love hearing my dad talk about, like, especially when his team won the Libertadores. 
it just when they went into the Club World Cup and then eventually lost to uh, whatever that team was. Uh, oh, what was the name? They were from some Morocco. Team from like Morocco. Oh, they really? lost. They were the winners of the AFC a, Championship. That's been a huge like chirping point for for their fan base. But overall, like already expecting to be in the final. Oh, we're gonna play Barcelona. We're gonna we're gonna beat these guys. It's super interesting point, and maybe even a great another episode that we can kind of delve into that a little bit more. But yeah, Louis, get back to the... <laughs> so, originally, the uh, CONCACAF Champions League was called the Champions Cup, and it was first played in 1962, which was probably roughly the same time that these other uh, continental tournaments were starting to be played. I know that there was the European Championship, is what they called it originally. It was probably played starting in the 50s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so... Uh, throughout its existence, had so many different formats because of the different things. If you know, the ML, uh, America didn't have a soccer league for probably twenty or around twenty years, so that impacted that a lot. And um, what makes it even weirder is that Mexican clubs used to play in the Copa Libertadores, which is also like, wait a second, but how does that make any sense? If Libertadores is for South America and Mexico is in Central America, why are they allowed to play? I don't know the reason why, but it got a little weird, and Mexican clubs have reached three finals of the Libertadores, though they've never won. Finally, Mexican clubs are not allowed to participate in Libertadores anymore, making the CONCACAF Champions League the only North American tournament that, that Mexican clubs can play in. And so I'm just going to kind of gloss over the fact that there are a bunch of other formats because that would be a really boring episode, and I'm going to kind of jump into the 2018 format, um, which is a brand new format for the, for the CONCACAF Champions League. And... Basically, it's a 16 clubs in a straight tournament knockout style. There are nine clubs from Mexico, United States, and Canada, with Mexico and the United States getting four spots each and Canada getting one spot. And then these nine clubs are joined by seven other clubs from the rest of CONCACAF, which, whether it's the Caribbean Islands, Central America, wherever it is. And they play in something called the CONCACAF League. And it's basically a replacement for the group stages, and it's act, it acts as a feeder league into the CONCACAF Champions League. The reason they did this is because when American, Mexican, and Canadian clubs had to play in a group stage, they were drawing teams from, you know, Jamaica, Haiti, these tiny, tiny little clubs. And it was just like for an MLS team to have to fly to, you know, these very random, I guess, almost like unestablished it's a difficult destination to play it wasn't drawing very big television numbers because mm-hmm. people don't really care that much and so they were just the group stages was just adding more dates for the MLS clubs to play in where when the MLS clubs were the MLS clubs were really struggling in the group stages as well as the Mexican clubs too the ways the American clubs can qualify is by one winning the MLS cup two winning the supporter shield which is the best regular season record in the MLS Three, it's the conference winner of the opposing conference of the team that won the MLS Cup. Say that again? So, <laughs> it's the... Basically, if you know American sports, if, let's say, the Eastern Conference champion wins the MLS Cup, the Western Conference champion gets the qualifying spot, not the MLS Cup runner-up, necessarily. I understood. Okay. Sorry yeah. if that's confusing. It confuses me. I apologize. Uh, and then number four is if the the winner of the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. Um, those are the four teams that qualify from the U.S. Basically, I know that was probably really hard to listen to, but the idea is that it's really difficult to understand. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people are turned off by the CONCACAF Champions League because 
it doesn't seem to follow the same format as the UEFA Champions League, as the, the Libertadores, as any of these other continental tournaments follow. And, of course, they have their reasons for doing so, but essentially it's, it's very hard to understand at face value. So I kind of want to jump into the issues that are facing the CONCACAF Champions League and really start to explain why a lot of people don't pay much attention to it, why a lot of coaches and players don't take it seriously and things like that. For the first one is that the two biggest players in the CONCACAF Champions League are Mexico and the United States. So basically Liga MX and MLS. The biggest issue with this is that their seasons don't match up in terms of time. If you know anything about the MLS, you know that they don't follow the FIFA calendar which is basically the worldwide accepted view of when clubs should be playing, but uh, in a, it doesn't. not every country follows it. For example, Brazil doesn't follow the FIFA calendar. But the Liga MX, they actually split up their season into two parts, which they have a, like a clausura and apertura, which means like a closing section and an opening section of their tournament or of their season. Mm. And basically what happens is the MLS starts playing in around April and finishes in November, and I'm pretty sure the Liga MX starts in, say, January or starts in December and ends again in May and then starts up again in, I believe, August and goes until November or something like that. But basically, the reason why this is important is that the champ- the CONCACAF Champions League starts in January of every year and it ends in May or technically April, right? If the final if the final was yesterday and next week, it'll it ends in April. Um, this is an issue because... If, as you know, the MLS season only started three, four weeks ago. And so by the time MLS teams join the tournament, Liga MX teams have already already in mid-season form. MLS teams are still rusty from preseason. And that leaves MLS teams at a disadvantage. Yeah, you definitely don't want to be coming into a tournament and trying to really take it seriously if you're only a week or so into kind of full gear. For in terms of MLS teams, yeah. kind of still feels like a preseason type of feel when you're kind of still rusty, and a lot of these guys are s- have been running for a month or so and a half. I mean, you can see it in regular preseason games when a team even starts a few weeks before. Um, that kind of intensity is definitely evident on the pitch, and um, not not great for MLS teams wanting to necessarily, if they did want to succeed, it's yeah. not already not a great start for them. Right, and that, you know, like you said, it's so rough. Most MLS teams are in going into camp in January. They're, like, r- getting the rust off. A lot of them fly south. If they're a northern team, they'll fly south and do preseason in, hot, in warmer areas. And if you qualify for the Champions League, you basically have to tackle preseason and your first game I- in the tournament at the same time. Yeah. And how do, you, how do you play a team? And this usually doesn't bode well for MLS teams where in the past they've actually lost pretty frequently. Um, usually get beat so badly by by Mexican clubs, but um, you know how do you just prepare for a tournament as you're preparing for your regular season? So what happens is a lot of teams don't care. They're like, well, it's still technically preseason. We'll treat these this game as a preseason, and we'll move on. Um, the next biggest issue is the history, right? A lot of people will be like, oh damn, MLS clubs have only ever won it twice. Well, like I said, you have to remember that America didn't play soccer for about 20 years, and you know, it just Mexican teams were the only big players that had the money to spend on quality players and win. So of course they're going to win thirty seven, thirty six, yeah. whatever it is, um, in that. And then the third issue is really it's kind of tied hand in hand is, is the golf and quality. Um, 
So because of Major League Soccer's uh, DP rule, it basically meant that for the longest time, when MLS started to actually compete in the CONCACAF Champions League, each team only had three super high-level players at most, right? Um, and the rest of their club, they had to outfit it with guys all making whatever it was under the salary cap. So what does that do? It means that each team is very top-heavy. And, you know, Mexican clubs don't have a salary cap, so they can hire quality players across every position. Right. You know, right. okay, maybe the MLS DPs were making way more money than the Mexican players were, but that mean, if you could spread the quality across the pitch, across 11 players, that makes a big difference in comparison to the MLS which you have a very top-heavy team. You'd have three phenomenal DP-quality players, and the rest, they would just, for the longest time anyway, be just, you know, random MLS guys, which yeah. isn't a bad thing, but th- in terms of the gulf of quality, y- yeah. you, it, you have to be honest and be like, yeah, that's a huge issue. Yeah. Especially thinking that some of those other MLS guys don't see the kind of money that the DPs see, so what's the motivation behind yeah. trying to play well in this yeah. When you're really just in a tournament where their like career might not necessarily be on the line, exactly. Right, their yeah. career might be more on the line in the MLS, not True. playing in the Concacaf Champions League, and that's right. a major point. It's right. like, man, I'm making only. Let's pretend you're only making fifty thousand dollars. Maybe this was five, six years ago, and you're like, am I really about to kill myself on this pitch in Nicaragua, week like on a preseason yeah, game, right? basically? You know what I yeah. mean? Whereas the Mexican side, they're looking at it as like, this is our Champions League. We've been in full seat, like we've yeah. been season already like the guys there they're gonna play it out and so of course this changed in 2015 when the mls introduced tam which is targeted allocation money which allowed players to allowed teams to sign quality players with their funny money rules which i we could do a whole other episode on tam um which we should apologize for when we did the dp episode we talked about zlatan ibrahimovic being a dp found out he's not He's they signed him with targeted allocation money, I believe. And so oh, great. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things. It's just uh, TAM has allowed MLS clubs to sign other quality players who would make more than the average MLS player, but less than a DP. It's kind of it's crazy. I would uh, We might have to do In an episode. a long-running series of confusing <laughs> MLS rules. <laughs> Let's add that one to the yeah, list. Right. Cool. We might have to do an episode on TAM to try and explain it because – it's kind of it's a cool Good topic, but luck. it's kind of crazy. Um, but basically, it's starting to shift because now MLS clubs have the ability to actually outfit their clubs with you know eight, nine, ten players that <coughs> they are you know paying more than the average MLS player. And also, a lot of these clubs that are in it recently, they've been having a lot of homegrown talent, which in other yeah. words, usually cheaper to pay and all this, and you have a really good quality team. And so that's why people have been saying that this year MLS clubs did a lot better than in past seasons. And then the last big, big, big issue is qualifying. And, you know, this is the flip side of, like, the Champions League is important coin. Like, the, in, like the inherent assumption is that it's worth winning it all, like, to be the top in your, in your conference or in the, to be the top in North America. But the issue is, is that you qualify for the, for example, MLS clubs who qualified for the 2018 Champions League, they qualified in 2016. Because of that scheduling discrepancy, the MLS season of 2017 doesn't count towards the qualifying of the Champions League for 2018 because the Champions League of 2018 starts before the MLS season. Right. So there's a lag. But for an MLS club who finishes a season in October of 2016, 
your club could go from he- the highest of the high to the lowest of the low in one year. Yeah. And so you've had instances where I'm sure you've had instances where you've had a team that was top notch in MLS and all of a sudden the next year their coach gets fired, they lose three right. of their players, they trade away two more, and then they have to play Champions League with a club with a, with a roster that is bare bones, yeah. you know. Yeah, the team that uh, doesn't deserve to even be there because they they weren't there for the qualifying. Stage, right, so, they didn't. Know. They weren't the team that qualified. Right. There was a year gap between the team that qualified and the team that plays, and so that plays a huge issue. Luckily for Toronto, that actually played weirdly enough in their favor. They made it to the MLS Cup final in 2016, lost, but then they won it in 2017 with a phenomenal team, and now they're going into the second leg of the final with a really good team. But for a lot of other clubs, yeah. you could see how that di- how that's disastrous, right? And so those are all of the big, big issues surrounding it. So hopefully this gives you guys a good understanding of the overall structure of this tournament. I know it seems very confusing to follow along, so we will include some videos and links in the, in the, in the show notes. But if I want to get more to the discussion part of this, and basically talk about, you know, the big question is, should people care about this? So um, I think people should care. The only problem is that, especially when you kind of listen to how confusing the entire tournament is structured, it, it is very hard for, for a, per- a regular fan to care for something of its r- that is I- incredibly hard to understand. And I and I say this from a perspective of like, obviously when a, a team is involved, there there's a lot of emotion. So emotion causes you to think even less logically than you po- would possibly. I mean, how many people do you still have to c- explain the Champions League away goal rule to? And it's pretty freaking simple, right? And, and that's stuff that happens just because of emotions, and you don't really kind of understand. If it's if it's so complex for us to understand right now, and we're sober and we're clear thinking, well, I don't see how that makes it someone that is passionate and maybe really super passionate about their club to f- to be able to understand like, oh, the my club uh, won the MLS Cup, but we're not playing it this year. Blah 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 blah. You know, it it really becomes this kind of maze to navigate the under the underlying understanding of what this champion Champions League is, quote unquote. Um, so I think that should should people care? Absolutely. I just think it's super hard to care about something that is so complex. So moving on from that point, what are the big changes that you guys think need to one hundred percent be made before people can? easily digest this and actually finally start to care about it different schedule i think they got to figure out some schedule that fits it but it's 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 almost going to be impossible i guess yeah it's just the the schedules of the united states soccer versus yeah it becomes that thing where i feel like this tournament is trying to uh appease all all parties involved where that actually ends up not making the tournament very appealing uh, what has to happen is the parties have to come to a understand i'm not saying the mls has to change its schedule and or the mexican league has to change its schedule but there needs to be an understanding to make things from a league's perspective a little easier to um a little easier for the tournament right because a an mls club is really never going to care all that much about a tournament that they're starting in their preseason from a coach's perspective 
you know your players aren't there you're not going to call them in and or i'm not even sure if they can call them in like a month earlier um players if you're not getting your summertime off or whatever it may be off your vacation time off coming back and getting back into soccer might not be something you're that thrilled about and just all around it, it from an mls perspective you're not going to get that fire that desire from players that are have just been spending a shit ton of time on their ass not really doing anything so i think from an mls perspective it's really hard i think Mexican teams probably already have that passion for the tournament. They just don't have the competition outside of Mexican teams, which I'm sure that they would love to have. Um, they get to play Mexican teams day in and day out in their regular league, so I'm sure that they would like to put their big guns against our big guns and see who comes out as... I mean, Mexico-USA is a that's a, a rivalry in its own. I think having... If, if MLS teams were more involved in it, that would for sure make, make for something amazing to watch right i think the big the big thing of usa versus mexico mls versus league mx would be really interesting to see played out on the big stage and i think that both of the, your points are really great but someone might say wouldn't it be interesting to so people already kind of call for this every once in a while anyway but wouldn't it be interesting to basically throw the mls on the fifa calendar because despite the fact that Mexico splits up their season, I'm pretty sure both of their splits still fall within the FIFA calendar. And it's just like they have a big winter break, if you were to consider it that way. So what a lot of people have actually called for before is MLS adopting the FIFA calendar. Because that way they don't lose players during the World Cup because they still play games during the World Cup. And they've lost, you know, the MLS was super reliant on star power for so long. And every time the World Cup would come around, they would lose their best players for a month, and even a little bit more, because you're not going to have a guy play day in and day out at the in the MLS, fly to wherever the World Cup is being held, play you know, three games within two weeks, and have them just be fine to come back and hop on another game. And so a lot of people have always kind of called for the MLS to adopt the FIFA calendar. And would you think that would be an easy switch? Because you know Mexico already technically abides by the FIFA calendar. It'd be a great switch, but our capitalistic views and what other sports are popular during those times just overshadow it. Like, imagine, just thinking the revolution. Imagine if they played on the FIFA calendar, trying to navigate their ways around uh, Patriots games and just having the Patriots right. have all, I mean, obviously it's the Patriots. Right. Well, they've done it before in the playoffs. It's yeah. been a pain, and you'll watch a game, and it doesn't look like the Revs field. It has yeah. the big Patriots logo yep. in the middle, and it literally looks like you're just watching some team play on the re- on the the Patriots field which is what it is. And but they've done it, you know yeah. what I mean? They've scheduled it on Saturdays and have and then the Pats play on Sundays and I would personally love it. I mean, I would love to have them MLS go with the FIFA calendar yeah. because as a person who watches Premier League and everything else, like I would love to be able to watch my games in the morning and then have my MLS games in the afternoon and evening. Yeah. I think I mean, yes, I I would definitely make things easier and I I would uh, honestly prefer that. Just because it just makes life easier for a fan if everything is in sync and there's no need to kind of have all these weird switcheroos come up, come up every now and then um, for tournaments like this. I think that if they just adopted it, it would make everyone's life easier. Sure, they could have their little quirks and whatnot, but um, adopting would make it easier just because then you'd get players in full force, have them out there ready to play and and compete with the, with the Mexican teams. And I think that it would also solve that issue of the qualifying for the tournament because if the league goes from 
you know, the FIFA calendar, I think that, that wouldn't there wouldn't be a year gap between when you qualify for the CONCACAF Champions League True. and when you start playing. Right, and I think that what's so funny to me is that uh, you see so much success in these other tournaments that are formulated in this way, right? Libertadores, Champions League, obviously everybody knows how how emotional these these tournaments get fans and how we can even talk about money how much money they generate etc it's so funny to see them trying to kind of put a band-aid solution almost it feels like for the mls and the mexican leagues and they're not i don't know i i don't know what the numbers are this year but and not really seeing that much interest on it. I, I know personally I haven't been following that tournament at all whatsoever. Like I just found out about the about Toronto being in the final. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe even maybe. today. I think I like knew that they were playing in a tournament, but I didn't know they were in a final, right? Yeah. So it's and for someone who thinks that they know a good right. amount of soccer, it's kind of embarrassing that that is isn't on my radar right and, and is that because of because of me i don't know because i'm yeah. on espn's and all my things every now and then um i mean pretty regularly or is that because the tournament just doesn't um call for attention in that right. in that sense so um i'm not sure I, i'm not sure what the the answer to that is but i think i do think that adopting the fifa calendar would make things easier for fans to digest and another thing that i think that very interesting that you just said is they in comparison to these other leagues, clearly they see the money that the Champions League is making and the Libertadores is making. And then, you, like you said, it's a band-aid solution to the point where they literally didn't even think to call it something different. They're just like, hmm, yeah. the European one's called the UEFA Champions yeah. League. What if we just called it the CONCACAF Champions League? <laughs> yeah. But it's hard because you refer to the UEFA Champions League as just the Champions yeah. League. Yeah. And you refer to the Libertadores as just the Libertadores. And so I think step one, Find a new name. <laughs> yeah. Call it. Go uh, back to the Champions get Cup. Get a marketing team. Get a marketing team. Research a new name. Call it something cool, something different, something North American. Go back. Even if you wanted to just go, if you just wanted to go back to the Concacaf Champions Cup, I think yeah. that's different enough that you, someone off the hand, could be like, "Yeah, Toronto's playing in the Champions Cup final," and you're not going to get confused into if someone said. Toronto's playing in the Champions League final. You go, yo, you did way too many <laughs> mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. You stop talking. Yeah, you don't you know, know what, what you're mean? talking about. Yeah. And so that's, I know it sounds simple, but marketing is a big part of it. Step two, I do think adopting the FIFA calendar in the MLS would make life easier for a bunch of people. But some people might say a lot of the Northeastern clubs or the Northern clubs in the MLS, they would suffer. through. Yeah, I mean, it's oh, definitely yeah. that's definitely a I big mean, reason why the, the, why the MLS doesn't do it. I know Russia doesn't follow the FIFA calendar for the exact same reasons. Um, because or else they'd be playing in straight ice. It's tough. I mean, I'm not going to say that they have to adopt it exactly, but I'm sure I'm sure that they could um, reformulate their schedule in a way that fit not only this tournament, but also made it very easy for teams like New England or uh, Canadian teams, Toronto, to play um, a, a regular season MLS season and still uh, flourish in, in this Champions League. They just have to find some fix, right? Because I think that getting this tournament right is actually going to be crucial in the long term of soccer's popularity in North America. Because I think that it's something that it's so much bigger than the MLS. Because a lot of times in the MLS, you're in, you live in this little secluded little world. And soccer's never been about a secluded little league. You know, you have mm-hmm. every league across the world has international players from other countries. Everything is so open. It's very... 
uh, worldly in a way. Yeah. And I think that this tournament in particular is going to help a lot of people within the MLS, if they get it right, to open their eyes outside of the MLS to start being world soccer fans and not just MLS fans. It's a right. great point. It's also, I mean, it's super, it's super interesting, uh, just the different perspective that it gives a fan too, because you see with, for example, Liverpool, right? Liverpool um, competing in the league, but they at one point they they weren't really expecting much of that out of the league, but they're doing so well in the Champions League, right? And that gives the fans something else to kind of cheer about. And it's almost a, a tournament that's bigger than the league. I'm not almost, it is bigger than the league, yeah. right? So if Liverpool wins the Champions League this year, their season has been, uh, I mean, an amazing success story. Right. And, and even if they didn't compete in, in their kind of domestic league at the highest level that they wanted to, their fans are buzzing. I mean, they're like, the best at, in Europe. Right, it doesn't right, matter if they're the best right. in England. They don't give a shit about the Premier League. Yeah. So I think that if you had that extra level of um, competition for Americans and for and for Mexicans to, to enjoy, I mean, just think about how exciting that energy would be here for fans. If if sure the Reds aren't playing that well here, but if they're in that the Champions League tournament and they're in the final, I mean, it, it really causes something that's amazing. To I follow. think that's the biggest point we could make as to why this matters. I think that giving the fans something else to root for to root about to be involved in is so crucial because everyone knows how leagues go every once in a while it's just not your year you know mm -hmm. you could play as well as humanly possible and it just the league isn't yours maybe right. you're knocked out of the the playoffs e early but if you're still in the in the in the champions league and your fans have something to root for you know, it's amazing. The the if you just listen to people's stories of like when they travel to Champions League finals right. in in Eng in, uh, in Europe and the the nights they have during the Champions League, it's right. stuff that gives you goosebumps. I mean, as a it's it's fan. stuff that they build chants around. I mean, oh, yeah. teams. Uh, I, I know United has several chants of going to Moscow and going to these other champ Champions League finals. They're nights that your club are kind of built on. And not only that, it think of just how important. Uh, a game is if if like a Wednesday night, Thursday, Tuesday night games are bigger than your weekend games, right? Yep. That feeling like the oh I'm, I'm I'm ready I'm buzzing for this this Tuesday night game that's huge man that's like that's super big for for a team to to be able to generate that energy from a game um, that Without kind of doubt. I mean like that's just a I don't know I don't, it's hard to explain the feeling but that type of energy is something that we could really cultivate here if we had the appropriate uh, appropriate tournament to do so. Right. And I think that I, I, I don't want them to adopt a straight copy of the Champions League. I don't want them to adopt a straight copy of the Bertadores. I think that some of the quirks that exist in the current CONCACAF Champions League are cool. Like, the fact that the winner of the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open uh, Cup gets a spot in the Champions League is really interesting mm -hmm. because uh, technically a second or third division club in America can win the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Usually it's not going to happen because... But still that chance. But there's yeah. a chance. It's it's a tournament that allows any team in America, as long as they're you know associated with this, the United States Soccer Federation, to play in this tournament. Imagine if a team, let's say, a team from Massachusetts, not in the MLS, not in the second division, not in the third, divi third division, but in a hypothetical, they win the Lamar Hunt Trophy. They can then go on a continental tournament yeah. that's supposed to bring them mad fans yeah. and money. Like, that yeah. is stuff of legend. Yeah. That's what makes soccer so captivating, I yeah. think. Absolutely. It's kind of like that that underdog story, right? That it allows for that. And and right, I don't I don't think that the ML that either league needs to get rid of their quirks necessarily. I think that what they should do is try to just make it as 
feasible for their teams to be able to really compete in the league. I'm sure the MLS um, doesn't see the, the this right now, but I think that you're right in terms of the long run for the culture of what soccer means here in the U.S. I think that if they were to do that, they would see amazing. They would be seeing am- amazing benefits um, in terms of fan support and fan culture, um, kind of growing here uh, through that. And I think the easiest way to put MLS fan culture on the map, because you have, from an outside perspective looking in, people look at the MLS like a bunch of little kids. They're like, oh, you have your cute little MLS team. That's so cool that you have supporters groups. Yeah, and all this kind of baby league it's that doesn't baby. play outside of it uh, itself. Yeah, because it's the self-contained small little world. But if you ask, you know, I'm sure if you ask a Timbers Army supporter, like, hey, man, like, who's the, like, best supporters group? They're like, us. Like, we rattle that stadium. Or if you ask an Atlanta United supporter, like, us, we rattle that stadium. We fill an 80,000-seat stadium, you know what I mean? But the rest of the world is like, oh, that's so cute. Atlanta thinks they're they're soccer fans. How do you put them on the map? Easy? With a good tournament. If you were to make a a, a phenomenal CONCACAF Champions League with, like, really, like, good, solid structure... You'd have the ability to put the Timbers on the map across the world. Because now all of a sudden, think about how many people tune into the to the UEFA Champions League here in America, right? And it's a whole continent away. Now imagine if you got to a point where people in Europe potentially were watching the CONCACAF Champions League final. And you're like, ooh, like all of a sudden you see Timbers Army throwing a fit inside of a stadium, making it wild. And it's just like the most captivating experience ever. Why wouldn't you want that? Right. True. I think that actually might be the best point made today. I, of this kind of babied perspective that the MLS has. I think that putting them on this international stage and where they're actually competing would help America's image with the sport so much, dude, let alone the, 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 the actual playing of it. I think that uh, people overseas would take us more seriously. People in the South Americas would take us more seriously because, you know, they look here and they're just like, yeah, you're right. It is just the MLS. They just play with themselves. They don't know what they compare to to other clubs giving them that platform allows them to allows them if they win a tournament hey mexico we got teams here we know how to play we're not just these gringos that are just balling and doing nothing right so i think it really makes it really makes that really makes for a compelling argument for the for the mls to consider um and just kind of make the this nation into a a, a, a superpower in in that sense and now another hypothetical that i want to throw out is let's say uh, in a Let's say if Toronto wins next week, right? Or this week when you guys are hearing this episode. They're going to qualify for the Club World Cup. Sure, Europeans don't see it as a big tournament. But if you even contemplate the sentence I'm about to tell you is, imagine watching Toronto play Real Madrid in a tournament that they're basically playing each other as equals. It's not a friendly. Right. It's not the MLS All-Star It's to win silverware. Yeah. It's to win silverware in a tournament where technically you are equal. That should speak volumes in and of itself. Like, I shouldn't have to explain to you why that's important. I shouldn't have to explain to you why that's a big deal. But if you just look at the possibility of having Toronto play Real Madrid or Liverpool or whoever else wins this year's Champions League, if if Toronto win, of course, I know it's not a given, um, especially because they're down 2-0, but, Mm. you know, it's just the prospect of getting potentially more MLS clubs to the Club World Cup is going to bring people's attention to American soccer so much more. Right. And so I think that really encapsulates why the CONCACAF Champions League needs to be revitalized. Clearly they're doing a good they're trying new things. This in 2018 this is a brand new format that they're trying and they're and they're slowly starting to build towards this, but you know it's still quite not quite there yet and 
I would love to see it. I, I really would. You know, I would really love to see this become yeah. a major, major tournament. And I would love to see, as as now, the, the, I think the one perspective we haven't really looked at is as the MLS is getting a little more um, competitive, as it's growing more and more, maybe these teams do start training a little earlier. Maybe they're whatever it may be, they start taking that more seriously. They have more squad depth that even if they're playing their second team, their squad second team is a team that can still compete at sure. a high level. I, I think that as the league grows in, in strength, that's definitely a possibility, and maybe no scheduling has to has to be changed. Right, right. now, I, the current th- the current setup and the way that the, the level that the teams are, I think that that does have to happen. But maybe you say this doesn't change, which they aren't going to change the rules immediately. They're going to say the next five years that doesn't become the case. They may not have to change anything, and teams are just good enough to, to compete, to go out there and, 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 and give it their best. Right. I think someone someone's perspective of this is like, okay, sure, maybe when Toronto started this tournament, it was preseason, but now they're in the thick of their season. They've gone through preseason. Just go out there and be the better team. And so that, I think, sure, that's valid, but getting to the final is yeah. usually the point, right? right? And and so a- absolutely. And I think the us saying that the MLS has to change your schedule – is us picking on the MLS, but we've see, we see this in the Champions League. There are teams that, um, there are these European teams that they don't act immediately qualify for the Champions League, so they have to go through this qualification process as well, it, but they don't start their preseason until kind of the week of or week before, and those teams usually struggle to get into the Champions League as well. So it's, it's something that we're not necessarily picking on the MLS and saying that they have to change their schedule, but we've seen that that, that you can't go into a tournament of this stature international tournament without having really pra- practice as a team we see this in europe with all with the qualification process for the champions league so the it it's would be foolish to think that that could happen here um so i think that again it's not to pick on the mls but if we want if we want to see the mls teams do well they really should see what these next few years bring us in terms of uh, success and, and how far mls teams go and, and and then kind of if that's not working, kind of look at the schedule and see if that's 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 a big issue. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that all three of us here would really love to see Toronto FC win. Yeah, that a but yeah. then b also you know just American soccer be taken more seriously and and have world soccer become a actual global conversation because there's so many European soccer fans who don't consider South American teams at all, despite the fact that tournament is as brutal as the champions league and there are really good players in south america and i would just love to see the conversation get global i know there will always be the best teams in 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 europe but to add a third layer to this and really have like a i don't know just make the conversation more global bring american soccer more to the forefront and get mls out of its little bubble that it kind of lives in i think those are all major points as to why the Concacaf champions league should be better than it is um but, yeah, I think – I'm actually excited. I think that this is the kind of thing that isn't going to be fixed overnight, and I do think it'll be about five or six years until they kind of get it right. But once they do, I think people are going to start to see how big this tournament yeah. matters, like how much it matters. And I think it's going to be uh, – if it, if, it, if it does grow to what, it, what we hope it grows to, this region of the world has – the prospect for amazing Italian. Mexico has amazing, Huge. amazing footballing teams. The U.S. can produce amazing footballing teams. So it would be amazing. It would be great to see that growth and kind of see that competition because I'm sure that the sparks will fly in any game that right. U.S. that MLS and Mexican team play against each other. So, um, and I'm sure anyone that sees that would love to watch that game. 
I think it just needs to be put out there more, make it easier for fans to watch and, and go from there. All right, guys, that does it. What do you think of the CONCACAF Champions League? Is it a viable option for MLS teams to compete in when it starts so quick with the scheduling, the format changes, and even qualifying for the cup itself? We appreciate your comments. Let us know what you think. Do you think the name should change? As always, we thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.